Hello guys and girls and welcome to episode 4 of Seb Talks Sports. That intro that you just heard there was created by all pro New York Giants running back, now music creator and friend of the show, David Wilson. Go and check him out on all of his social media platforms at 4stillrunning on Twitter and Instagram and his music under David E. Wilson across all good music streaming services. He's also available for business so hit him up if you want some beats for your podcast, advert, commercial, absolutely anything you need. Before I get into this episode I just want to say that if you're not already following Seb Talk Sports across all platforms then please do. You can find me on Facebook Seb Talk Sports, YouTube Seb Talk Sports, Twitter at Seb Talk Sports and Instagram where I'm primarily active again it's at Seb Talks Sports. Today I've got an incredible guest, a nine-year NBA veteran point guard who matched up against Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, just to name a few, in a career that took him to the 1999 NBA Finals against all the odds. It's the one and only Chris Childs. Enjoy! My guest today is a nine-year NBA veteran guard who played for the New York Knicks, New Jersey Nets and Toronto Raptors, an NBA Finals player and a 1999 Eastern Conference champion. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Chris Childs to Seb Talk Sports. Chris, how are you? I'm doing, Seb. Thanks for having me, man. It was a struggle, us hooking up, but we're here now, so let's, let's, let's have some fun. That's it. We had a few technical difficulties, but we're all going now, so looking forward to getting into it. So what would you say were your earliest memories of playing sport and basketball particularly, and at what point did you know you both wanted to and could do it as a career? Well, I, early on, it was my dream, but uh, I was a a baseball player. I was a better baseball player than basketball. But uh, when I went away to college, they didn't have a baseball team. They had a baseball club. Mm. And so when that occurred, uh, I just continued to play basketball and put all my energy into that sport. And, you know, luckily, by the grace of God, uh, I was able to uh, realize my dream. Mm. And what sort of age did you think you could make it in the sport? Well, it was just a belief. Uh, in my ability, uh, you know, a lot of times when you, you're coming up, you know, you have guys that can jump high, that can run fast. Uh, but I just had determination and perseverance that it was something that I wanted to do. And I knew that I had to put the work in to do it. Uh, coming from, you know, Bakersfield, California, there's not a, there weren't a lot of professional athletes to come out of my town. So I wanted to be uh, one of the guys that the younger kids can look up to and say, okay, if he made it, then I can make it as well. So that was a lot of my motivation. And along with my parents' support, my uh, my other siblings' support, uh, just a lot of great people to come into my life, uh, I was able to succeed. Mm, absolutely. And of course, you said about your uh, college career there. So I want to touch on that quickly because you had a great college career at Boise State. Uh, you were the Big Sky Conference Player of the Year in 1989 and then had an incredibly unique professional career and that you went undrafted in the NBA and so made your name in the CBA and you won a title with the Quad City Thunder in 1994. How much did you enjoy your time both at college and the CBA and which lesson that you learned there proved most valuable in the NBA? Well, first starting off with college, uh, it's, it was a dream come true uh, to be able to get a scholarship and, and go to a, co- a university to uh, earn education and play basketball and just enjoy the college experience. Uh, the main thing that I'm proud of going to Boise State is that I played every game in college. From I started every game from my freshman year to my uh, senior year. And I knew that I was going to start and play. I told the coach and I told the seniors at, at the time at Boise State that 
I'm taking your position and I'm going to start because I just had confidence that in my ability, they thought I was crazy. But, you know, I, I just knew, I just trusted in my my work ethic, uh, my belief in my ability. And, you know, I was able to to do that. Uh, for, for four years, I started every game in Boise State. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the people that I came in contact with because leaving California, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood, then going to Boise State and seeing something different with other races. Uh, it was a learning experience and it was a good experience to prepare yourself for the real world because everybody's not the same, but we all be equal. Mm. Uh, but leaving there and not getting drafted was disappointing because I thought I was uh, playing well. I was in the Sports Illustrated as the best guard coming out of the West, mm. along with Tim Hardaway. Um, Gary Payton at the time was a year younger, I think, uh, at the time. And then going up against Rod Strickland and all those guys coming out of college, I thought I, you know, matched up well. But it wasn't in the cards for me to get drafted. So I had to go and mature in the CBA. And I bounced around from team to team. Uh, and then I finally found a team that really wanted me uh, by an owner of uh, name of Ann DeLong and a coach by the name of Dan Panaggio that believed in me that I could lead a team uh, after being there for five years. And, you know, one thing that the NBA looks for is, especially at the point guard position, is he able to lead my team Yeah. Uh, to win games, win the championship? And it took me a long time to realize that, and I guess that's why I was in the CBA for the time that I was. But once I figured that part out and led the team to a championship, that's when NBA teams took notice. And uh, Willis Reed from the New Jersey Nets uh, gave me a call uh, after we won the championship and told me that uh, uh, they were signing me to a contract. And so at that time, I'm excited. Like, okay, I'm getting signed. But I end up, they end up signing me to a partial. Mm. So it wasn't even a full guarantee uh, contract. So there again, I have to prove myself. But I was okay with that. Because I was like, once I get my foot in, I'm going to knock the door down. So mm -hmm. uh, when I got there, got to New Jersey, they had uh, David David Wesley was a backup point guard and Kenny Anderson was a starter. And so I told David, I said, you know, I, I feel, I'm sorry that uh, this has to happen this way, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for your spot. And I told Kenny, if you're not ready to practice and play, I'm coming for your spot as well. Mm. And I, I worked my behind off. Uh, played with some unbelievable talent with uh, Derek Coleman, uh, Chris Morris, Benoit Benjamin, uh, rest in peace, Armand Gilliam, uh, Jason Williams, uh, Kevin Edwards, Rex Walters, uh, shoot, Dwayne Senses. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody out because they'll be mad at me, but uh, Chris Morris. Mm. So we had an excellent team. We just didn't mesh at the time and we were coming out of the east so we had to play against michael and the bulls mm -hmm. and everybody but it was a learning experience that i finally you know got my opportunity and end up you know they traded david uh played with kenny for a year and then they end up trading him and so it's my team now mm -hmm. and once that occurred the whole league took notice and uh I, I was going to sign back with New Jersey, but they fired Butch Beard and brought in John Calipari. Uh, John and I didn't see eye to eye. 
And so uh, he, they didn't want to give me the years that I wanted, but the Knicks did and went to the Knicks and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And just on that move from the CBA to the NBA, of course, like you said, uh, you signed your first NBA contract in 94 with the Nets and Hall of Famer Willis Reed brought you in to join the Nets roster, including NBA champions Rick Mahorn and PJ Brown and all-stars Derek Coleman, Kenny Anderson, Jason Williams and Sleepy Floyd, some of the names you mentioned there. Um, so how did it feel to put pen to paper and officially announce yourself as an NBA player and join that star-studded roster? Well, as I was signing that contract, I was still disappointed and upset that I didn't get a full guarantee. So uh, I was happy. Uh, I think at the time, this was in 94, it might have been, I think the full guarantee for a guy coming in was 150. So I think I got half of that, 75,000 mm. uh, at the time of signing. And I wasn't happy with that because those other guys were making 10, 15 times what I was making, but wasn't working as hard as I was working. But I remember, and I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot, PJ Brown, I'm sorry. <laughs> Rick Moore, I'm sorry. Especially Sleepy Floyd. Mm. Uh, and uh, Sleepy and Vern Fleming, mm. two of the veterans that I uh, played with that taught me a lot about the game and about the business. So uh, having those guys in my ear and telling me, Chris, don't worry about it, just continue to work things are going to come to you because you can play and uh, you work harder than anybody else on the team. And so getting that advice uh, got my head back focused. And, uh, you know, we, every time I got on the floor, I start, I always thought about the draft, not getting drafted. So I was going to make every guy that got drafted before me pay. Mm. I made a t-shirt of all the guys that got drafted before me and Steve Alford, all those guys, every time I went up against them, I wouldn't let them get the ball across half court because (laughs) I knew that I was faster, stronger, Mm. and I had more tenacity uh, at the time to succeed because a lot of times those guys come from big schools. Uh, A lot is given to them. They don't have to go there and work and earn it. So I did. And so by doing that, I was going to make them pay every game, every time I saw them. And I remember guys used to tell me, man, do you ever take a break? And my (laughs) response was, I don't have time to. I have, uh, at the time, two kids to feed. And yeah, obviously that that hard work you had there was a key to your 98-99 season, which was an incredible success because you played 48 regular season games and 20 playoff games that year as part of the New York Knicks roster. Um, Defeated the Reggie Miller-led Indiana Pacers to win the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you took to the court against the Spurs in the 1999 finals on the biggest stage of them all to battle out for world champions. And you contributed 12 points and 11 assists in five games during those finals. So how did it feel to play on the biggest stage of them all? And what did it mean to you, your family and your teammates? That year was special because uh, it was a half, it was half, I think it was 50 games. Mm. And so we got off to a slow start. And I think we had to win the last, I want to say, 10 out of 15 or 11 out of 15 games just to get into the playoffs. And we knew once we, if we got in that we could play against anybody. Even though we were banged up uh, coming into the playoffs, that didn't matter. The adrenaline and the desire to win and, and bring another championship back to the city of New York was our only our main goal. And so once we got the eighth seed, and we knew at the time Miami was the number one seed. We knew we can beat them. Mm. We knew because 
every year we played them from 95, I think 96 to, no, I'm sorry, 97, 96 to 99, we matched up with them. And the only time they beat us in the playoffs was when we got into the, uh, the suspension, mm. uh, when all the guys got suspended. So that was the only time that they could, they could beat us in a playoff series. So we knew with the additions of Spreewell and Canby uh, and a couple of other guys that we matched up well against them and that we can beat them, and which we did. It was a tough series, but once we got by them, we knew we can uh, – I don't know if it was Indiana first or Charlotte, whatever, but we knew that we could beat Indiana because I think we beat them – I can't remember either it was 2-2 or 3-4 either way. Mm. Uh, from each team, but we matched up well against them as well, even though it took a, a miracle shot by uh, LJ <laughs> for, us, for us to move on. Uh, it was just in the cards for us. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the way that the, the season played out, the way that we got into the playoffs, being an HC, uh, never been done before, you know, going to the finals, and we got, you know, got up there against San Antonio, and it was just uh, it wasn't meant to be. We were really banged up. Uh, they were twin towers playing volleyball. Mm. Uh, I think if we would have had Patrick healthy, mm. yeah, uh, we, we'd have had a great opportunity against them because then they would have moved Marcus to the four mm. uh, to match up against David and put Patrick on uh, Duncan, and then they would have moved LJ to the three. And we could have went to a big guard lineup with Spree and Allen. Uh, could have brought in speed with myself or Charlie. Uh, so it would have been, it would have been a different matchup and I think it would have been a different outcome, but uh, it was exciting uh, for my family to see that at the time I was married for my kids, uh, my mother and father and all my family to be there and experience that with me. Uh, it was an incredible journey. Mm, absolutely. And obviously during those finals and just throughout your career, you played with some incredible players. Some of them we've already mentioned, but I'll just touch on them again. So Rick Mahorn and PJ Brown, of course, but also Patrick Ewing, uh, Charles Oakley and Charlie Ward, who I recently interviewed, who was great. Um, and of course, the great Vince Carter. Um, I think I know what your answer is going to be here uh, because I've seen your Instagram, but who would you say was your greatest ever teammate you've ever had? And who was your greatest ever opponent? You know, I, I said Oakley because with Charles Oakley, we're still close, but I played with, Probably don't get a lot of credit. Uh, one of the top 10 centers of all time was Patrick Ewing. Mm, yeah. uh, I just got off the phone with him a, a couple of hours ago just to check on him, see how he was doing, because he did uh, have a battle with COVID-19, mm. the coronavirus. And uh, he said he's doing well. He's stronger. He Good. appreciated me checking in on him. And uh, we're, we're brothers for life. Uh, we might not agree on everything with, with family or whatever, but we're brothers and I, I never want to see anything bad happen to any of my teammates. Mm. Uh, I enjoy playing with Vince, uh, to see a guy, uh, come into this league with that much athletic ability, yeah. uh, was amazing. And I think, uh, with Oak being there, myself being there, being teammates with him, uh, we tried to instill a, a, a toughness in the team and him. And to see him play 22 years is just remarkable. Uh, that's yeah. a credit to his determination and his professionalism. Uh, when I was in New Jersey, man, I played with some characters. It was it was hilarious the things that these guys did and got <laughs> away with. Uh, but like I said, Rick Mahorn was there to keep me focused. Like, hey, just keep your eye on the big picture. 
Uh, don't fall into the traps of what a lot of what other people are doing. Do what you do. Uh, carve your own niche in the league and with coaches. And uh, one thing that I prided myself on was coming to practice every day. Yeah. And being a professional and working on my game. And I think that's why I was able to play uh, for the teams that I played with. They respected my leadership. They respected the way that I worked. Uh, it was just unfortunate. My last two years, which I ended up being, I asked to be waived for, by the New Jersey Nets when uh, they played in the finals from 02 to 04 against the Lakers. I was on that team, but wasn't able to get healthy. And that would have been me taking a roster spot from somebody that uh, could help the team because I couldn't at the time. So uh, that was one of my regrets. Uh, I wish I could have been healthy to help that team out. But all in all, nine years, uh, uh, being one of the best players uh, to ever play in the NBA because everybody that plays is great in their own way. Uh, but I've played against some remarkable, talented players. Uh, Michael Jordan, one yeah. of the best. Uh, Allen Iverson, Stephon mm -hmm. Marbury, um, Rod Strickland, Scotty. I mean, Scotty Pippen, Terrell Brandon. <laughs> um, I mean, I played with Vince, uh, Tracy McGrady. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going against these guys at six nine with seven three <laughs> wingspans and. Uh, going in and battling against Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's just some great players. I mean, I think a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit is Michael Finley. Mm. Uh, played against him, played against um, uh, Mitch Richmond, uh, Tim Hardaway. Mm. I mean, it's just a list, a list. Magic Johnson was yeah. one of my men uh, mentors. I had a chance to play against him and in the CBA. And he told me then when I was working hard too, try to make it to the NBA. He said, Chris, you just keep working. You can play in this league. And I had a picture of us walking on the court and him with his arm around me telling me that. So all these things uh, I cherish and appreciate. And I don't mean to leave anybody out. Uh, just right now, those are the guys that uh, I can think of. Mark Price, Steve Nash. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. But it's... it's it's nothing like putting on that uniform and going out there uh, competing against the best. Mm, absolutely. And as well as players, you've played on some great coaches as well. So uh, Bobby Dye at Boise State um, during the college days, uh, Butch Beard, Jeff Van Gundy, Lenny Williams and Byron Scott. So some great, great coaches there. But which coach personally would you say was most influential to your game and which single piece of advice that they gave you was most useful? Well, it, it, it has to go back um, to... Me growing up uh, playing basketball in the vacant lots and the backyards and the parks, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in wasn't an easy neighborhood to navigate through because it was a lot of bad things going on. But uh, going to these parks and playing all day in 104 degree heat, that's, that prepared me for anything that could come my way. And then my 13-year-old, um, my I was 13 years of age, four, no, I was 14, and I grew up on one side of the town and on the east side and on the west side, there was a coach, uh, oh, I can't think of his name offhand, um, Virgil Wilson. Mm. Virgil Wilson was our uh, junior high coach, 
And they were getting ready to go. We were getting ready to go to Hawaii to play. And that was big for us, you know, growing up in inner city. And so um, I would have to go across town to practice with that team because everybody else was from that side of town. And he told me that uh, his guy at the time was going to start and I wasn't. And I couldn't understand that because I knew I was better. I played better. And so I told him, well, if you're going to start him and I don't want to play, got on my bike and went home. And my dad asked me, what are you doing here? You have practice. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to play because I'm not starting and I'm better than the guy. And he said, you quit? I said, yeah, I quit. He said, well, I'll tell you this. If you start quitting now, you'll quit the rest of your life. I'm not going to make you go back over there now, but if I ever find out you quit anything again, then there's going to be a problem. And so that was one of the lessons that I learned growing up and then getting into high school and things not going your way. You can't tuck your tail and run. You have to just continue to battle uh, through things. And that helped me going to Boise State, uh, playing for Bobby Dye, who was a taskmaster, used to yell and curse all the time. But come to find out, he only he was preparing me for the next level uh, in the NBA. Because you're, you're working, once you get to the NBA, they're not going to babysit you. You have to be responsible for yourself. And uh, me going and playing for Butch Beard, who I enjoy playing for, uh, the Hall of Famer, Lenny Wilkins, mm. uh, taught me a lot how to be a professional, how to take care of your body, how to uh, be a student of the game. And then going to New York and playing for Jeff, who was a real student of the game uh, who videoed and watched so much film that he had bags under his eyes. And I think uh, lost a lot of hair watching him, pulling <laughs> his hair out, watching film of, uh, of us playing and watching other teams uh, prepare. So uh, I took a lot from every coach and I kind of used that with uh, how I train the kids that I train here in Jacksonville, Florida on how to be a professional, how to approach your workouts, how to be a student, uh, of your craft and uh, it's, it only helps you in the end to be a true professional uh, at this game that I love. Mm. So I'm a Raptors fan. If I do that, might be, might be able to see the flag a bit better in behind me. There you go. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah. That's the one. So I'd love to know about your uh, season and a half in Toronto from 2000. So after your time on the Knicks, you joined the Raptors and played a total of 95 regular season games and 17 playoff games in Toronto on a franchise at consecutive playoff appearances with you as a key piece to the team. So how much did you enjoy your time on the Raptors? And as a personal hero of mine, what was it like playing alongside the great Vince Carter? It was an incredible time because when I initially got traded from New York, I got traded at 11.59, 30 <laughs> seconds. The trade deadline is at midnight. Mm. So I was disappointed. But once I got to the city, the, the city is just incredible. Mm. Uh, Toronto's a beautiful city. So I, I, I view it as a cleaner New York. Uh, the people are amazing. The food is amazing. Uh, the women are beautiful. <laughs> uh, the the fans are incredible. They just mm. they just enjoyed it, and they they had so much energy. And we had an unbelievable team um, of of all stars on Antonio Davis, Oakley, uh, Alvin Williams, Morris Peterson, and then you know the great Vince Carter. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it doesn't do justice watching him on TV. Uh, Vince, he jumps a lot higher than it than it looks. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I appreciate about playing there and playing with Vince that he was receptive to criticism mm. and advice. Uh, we were neighbors. Uh, we stayed across the hall from each other in a condo, so we had a lot of uh, conversations uh, the years that I was there, and uh, my brother would come down, and we would have dinner, and we would just sit there and talk about the game. Uh, I, I proposed questions of what did he expect out of himself, and I told him what I expected out of him as a point guard, mm. uh, that even though I'm the point guard, you're our leader. You have to lead us in not only by just verbally, but you have to lead by example on how you prepare for the game, uh, how you approach the game. And uh, his ears were wide open, and I appreciate those times that we shared and that he was able to uh, soak in some of the things that I was telling him because I had playoff experience, and I, I know he knew that, and he was just sit there and uh, enjoy our conversation and. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate his talent and I appreciate him listening to not only myself, but Charles Oakley and Antonio Davis and also Dale Curry, who I forgot to mention was my teammate, uh, the father of Steph and Seth Curry. I knew those young men when they were uh, seven and eight years of age. So uh, that experience was great. Uh, and Vince was uh, an integral part of our success while I was there. And the success of other guys before I got there. So this year, of course, we tragically lost Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash. Um, and obviously you had a notable incident with Kobe. Uh, we had a fight against each other on the court in April 2000, uh, which of course you've since come out and said you didn't have any beef with each other, which is great. And you posted a really respectful post on your Instagram after he passed away, which I thought was just awesome to see. What did Kobe Bryant mean to you? And what legacy do you think he has on the game of basketball? Well, that, that was a sad day. Uh, I was... Uh, in the gym training about 20 kids and uh, my phone kept ringing. It usually doesn't because I let people know I'm training mm. and I'll contact them later, but it kept ringing and ringing and ringing. So I felt something was wrong. I picked up the phone, walked outside and got the news. Mm. And I immediately, I can't remember what I said, but the people that were working in the gym asked me if I was okay. I walked outside, uh, had my moment, but I had to gather myself because I had to go in and tell these young men what happened, which they were all big fans, and uh, kind of uh, get myself together so I could continue training because I know that's something that Kobe would do uh, because of his uh, desire to be great. So I had to do that, and it was a difficult uh, thing because um, of our past, things that happened in our past. Um, I had to really do some soul searching. I was in a bad space. I think everybody was. I, uh, it just seemed like time stopped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for every, it stopped and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, so it took me about at least a week to get a full understanding uh, of the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to talk to my mother, get some spiritual advice uh, from her. Uh, and she put things in perspective. Uh, and along with other friends. Um, I spoke with uh, a lot of other people who were close to Kobe and played against him and uh, grew up with him. 
uh, to get some perspective. And so at the end of the day, I just uh, felt that what's going on in this world, that he's in a better place, even though we want the physical, uh, he's in a better place because the life that we're living right now and the, the place that we are, is, this, this is not the world that I know it to be. So uh, he's leaving a legacy of all young people who emulate him uh, on the court, off the court. Uh, the things that he was trying to uh, bring to the forefront as far as women's basketball, um, equal rights for women, equal pay. Uh, and he he didn't do it to get the notoriety. It's something that was on his heart. Mm-hmm. And you can always learn from someone, whether they're younger than you, older than you, you can take a part of what they're doing in their life and try to uh, instill it in yours. And that's what I do. Uh, when I mentor these young men on how to be exceptional males as, and as far as uh, training them the game of basketball and how to play the right way and giving full maximum effort every time they're on the court because you never know when it'll be your last time dribbling the basketball. So uh, Kobe will be sorely missed, but we shouldn't be sad. We should celebrate his legacy and the things he's accomplished on the court. He's an ambassador of the game and will continue to be. And uh, even though I competed against him and we had a one altercation, uh, I'm still a fan of his and will always be a fan. Chris, I'm gonna end with some quick fire questions. You ready? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, favorite takeout food? Ooh, favorite takeout food, we gotta go Mexican. Mm, yeah, same here. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Big or Tupac? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> Tupac. Favorite sports movie of all time? Favorite sports movie of all time has to be The Fish That Say Pittsburgh. You got to look it up if you've never seen it. <laughs> Will do. Describe how it felt to be Eastern Conference champions in one word. Awesome. Awesome. Funniest guy in any locker room you've ever been a part of? Funniest guy. Let me see. Oh, myself. Yourself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I was a comedian. <laughs> but other other than myself, let me give some uh Rick Brunson was pretty funny. Uh he played with me in New York and um Yeah, Al- Alvin Williams from uh when I played with him in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Nice. Best locker room prank you can say on my show. <laughs> Best locker room prank. It wasn't a prank, but I remember um Xavier McDaniel got into a fight with Wes Matthews and Wes went to the bathroom, went to the locker room to take a shower. And as he was in the shower, uh, Xavier poured baby oil in the shower. So he started fighting him and Wes couldn't get up because he kept slipping because he was barefoot. (laughs) But Xavier had all this stuff on. So that was probably the funniest. Oh, that's amazing. Um, okay, so in that 2002 playoff game against the Pistons, when you were down by three, uh, were you looking for a foul or did you forget the score? What caused that confusion at the end of the game there? Yeah, I was looking for a foul. Um, mm. it, it was, a, it was a, a bad play on my part. It was, uh, it should, I should have did something different, but I was looking for a foul and thought I can get a, a, a quick shot or get a three or whatever. But uh, if you play long enough, you're going to have a, a Shaq and the Fool moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite NBA player of all time? It has to be George the Iceman Gervin. And finally, which team is winning the Larry O'Brien Trophy this season? 
Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Milwaukee. Mm, nice. Good choice. Chris, thank you so much for your time. I've had an absolute blast talking to you. Where can people find you on social media? I'm on IG. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's just Chris. I don't have a, a, a handle or anything. Anybody can reach out. I try to get back to all the fans and ask any questions, like whether they're good or bad, like me, dislike me. It doesn't matter because we're all one person. We're all human beings. And uh, I enjoy interacting with the fans. So look for me. Awesome, man. Thanks. I'll leave all your links below so people can find you uh, very easily. All right, Sam. Thank you, man. And there he goes. 1999 Eastern Conference champion and New York Knicks legend, Chris Charles. An amazing player and an even greater guy. I could have talked to him for hours. I've got a lot more great guests coming very soon, so stay tuned right here on Seb Talk Sports. And to take us out as usual, here's another brilliant track by all-pro New York Giants running back turned music creator and friend of the show, David Wilson. Catch you soon, guys. Hey, Sam. 